What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, George Shirley. Jai Shields here on this Christmas Eve 2021. Nice to have you with us. Hope you all are enjoying your uh, Christmas holiday safe and soundly with the people who you love the most and care about. Um, get into a couple of items here on this Friday program. Recap the Thursday night football season finale between the San Francisco 49ers and the uh, Tennessee Titans. Give my uh, two uh, cents on Urban Meyer getting canned and Buck Showalter being hired as the new mess manager. Did not have a chance to address that last Friday. We will here today. And, of course, the Week 16 preview with, uh, with about eight decent games uh, that to uh, keep your eye on here on this Christmas uh, weekend. Here as we begin the uh, what typically was the second to last season of the NFL regular season, it is n- it is now the third to last uh, week in the NFL season, week sixteen, and of course your week sixteen picks against the spread. But first things first, where we will begin is with the Thursday night game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Tennessee Titans. Titans care, taking care of business, uh, beating the 49ers by the final score of 20-17. to 17. Uh, is, You got a phenomenal performance by A.J. Brown on his return uh, on his return back dealing with his chest injury. Boy, what a night he had. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Getsu's back back again. Uh, 11 receptions, 145 receiving yards, caught a touchdown pass in the game, uh, was just absolutely sensational for the uh, for the Tennessee Titans on th- uh, on Thursday night. Was absolutely remarkable. Uh, he had 145 of Ryan Tannehill's 209 passing yards, 22 for 29. Ryan Tannehill did get sacked for it. I mean, outside of a- outside of AJ Brown, the Tennessee Titans had little to no offense in the game. He was their he was their best player on the field. He was their MVP. In the game on uh on in the game last night, I mean, if it wasn't for AJ Brown, the Tennessee Titans would have lost it. Would have lost that football game. An absolutely phenomenal talent. He he is, and just a f- great, great, phenomenal game coming back. Uh, coming off, coming back. Excuse me, off the injury list. Uh, with his uh, dominating performance on Christmas Eve Eve the other night. Now, from San Francisco 49ers standpoint, you know, it's it's. This is this this is the 49ers that we saw, you know, the first two months of the season. You know, they they blew they blew a lead. Tennessee was down was down ten at halftime, and they allow and they allowed the Tennessee Titans to outscore the 49ers in the second half, twenty to seven. I mean, it's it's you can't you can't have that happen. You know, the 49ers who have played well the second half of the season uh, showed guts and showed great stick-to-itiveness, beating my Bengals a few weeks ago, uh, and then getting the and then getting the win uh, coming off of a coming off a horrendous loss on the road to the 
Seahawks prior to the Bengal game. They beat uh, they beat the Atlanta Falcons convincingly, thirty one thirteen. And here it is, a game uh, you know, five days later against the Tennessee Titans, a team that did nothing but lay an egg, embarrassed themselves, and beat themselves again on, when they played Pittsburgh a few days prior uh, in Pittsburgh, coming off of that demoralizing loss that could end up costing Tennessee. Uh, that could end up costing Tennessee a shot at the potential one seed in the AFC. Tennessee is Tennessee's down in the dumps, and San Francisco's riding high. You know, having one, having won one, two, having won one, two, three, four, five, get five, having won five out of the last six games that they have played, with the Seahawks loss being the only outlier, and they and they get to get a double digit lead heading into the half. And they essentially let AJ Brown, let AJ Brown and the Tennessee Titans defense to take over the game and allow Tennessee to get back into it. I mean, an absolutely horrendous night. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who you know, in fairness to him, and I've defended him many a times, and rightfully so, during this little stretch that the 49ers have been on, he has played well. He's made the, he's made some phenomenal throws. His decision making has been remarkable. His ability to read the blitz and get the ball out in time, finding George, find, you know, finding. George Kittle getting the ball to Brandon Ayuk and uh, and Debo Samuel. Whether it's whether it's catching a football out of the backfield, he's so he's done a good job throughout these last you know five, six, seven stretch of games. Uh, you know, quarterbacking for San Francisco, so he's done a good job. But on Thursday night, he was just absolutely abysmal. Uh, twenty six to thirty five. Through for 322 passing yards, two interceptions, one touchdown in a game, and uh, and this and you sit up here and say, well, he threw for over 300 passing yards. You know what's the what's the big deal? He didn't. He wasn't bad. He he threw for over 300 passing yards. Well, I guarantee you didn't realize this stat either when the game went off or when you woke up this morning. 196 of Jimmy Garoppolo's 322 passing yards, or excuse me, with uh, you take away, the, let me rephrase, Garoppolo threw, threw 322 passing yards. His passing yards in the game last night without, repeat, without Debo Samuel's yards after the catch, 196. So if you essentially take away all the work that Debo that Debo Samuel did as for, you know and he and he and he did it and he boy did he uh he did everything but hand out the Gatorade for San Francisco uh last night nine receptions 159 receiving yards and 11 targets I mean he he also was was damn near uh, all of all of San Francisco's offense uh, you you take what 159 yards from Debo, 159 yards away from Debo Samuel. If you take away, uh, or if you take away Debo's uh, yak, his yards after the catch, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even crack for 200 yards passing. He threw two bonehead ass nine interceptions. One of them was one of the worst thrown balls I've ever seen in his career. Where the ball, where I, I, I had to do a double take and make sure it wasn't Tim Tebow behind center wearing a forty nine uniform that he threw directly. He threw directly into the hands of uh, what, of what is his name uh, of. Uh, of uh of uh, not at Jenkins uh that was the first interception the second the second interception was to uh 
was uh, was ho- was to Hooker. I had to double check and make sure that it that it was Jimmy Garoppolo and not Tim Tebow. I have no idea who that. I mean, it was supposed to go to it was supposed to go to Debo Samuel. You wouldn't have known it watching that bonehead asinine interception that Garoppolo th- that that Garoppolo threw directly to the Titans defender for a second interception. That was a horrendous that was a horrendous pass and his first interception that he threw uh, in the red zone won that much better. So. You know Jimmy Garoppolo, not a not a night at the office to remember. And all it takes is one bad night, one bad performance like he had on Thursday night for the you know for the Jimmy Garoppolo naysayers and for the Trey Lance fanboys and fangirls of the world to come out of the woodwork and start screaming for Jimmy Garoppolo to get canned for Trey Lance to all of a sudden take the take the reins as a QB1 for the San Francisco 49ers. And that was a bad loss by San Francisco. San Francisco had an opportunity to go 9-6, and six, essentially lock up the number 6 seed and possibly come after the Rams for the potential five in the for for an NFC wild card spot. They're now currently sitting at eight. They're now currently sitting at eight and seven. They finish their last two games to close out the season. It's a gimme in Houston, which again, which is a game that San Francisco should win in their sleep to improve the nine to improve the nine and seven. And depending on if the Rams have to play for anything, that could end up that could be end up uh, end up being a difficult game for them. Them going up against the Rams on the road at SoFi, the final game of the 2021 regular season. But that is a game that San Francisco had to have in order for them. Now, they still have a decent chance to make the playoffs, but again, a win would have done you tremendous favors instead of instead of blowing a 10-point lead to the uh, what we thought were the beleaguered and the uh, limping and, and, and stammering, stuttering Tennessee Titans. You look at the playoff picture as we stand here. The Vikings, excuse me, the 49ers still hold on to the sixth spot, uh, still hold on to the sixth spot uh, up on Minnesota. Minnesota now now they had now if Minnesota wins this weekend and improves the eight and seven they play Minnesota plays the Rams on Sunday even if Minnesota knocks off the Rams uh a it does San Francisco a favor because it you know because they could still on a chicken wing and a prayer maybe uh maybe well ho- ho, let's see uh they got three games left ten and seven. Uh, you know, on a chicken wing and a prayer, San Francisco could catch the Rams for uh, it could catch the Rams for uh, the fifth wild for the first wild card spot, the fifth seed in the NFC. But even if the Vikings take care of business against the Rams, the Vikings would the Vikings would improve the eight and seven, same record as San Francisco. But San Francisco would stay, but San Francisco and the Vikings would stay right where they are, based on the fact that San Francisco has a tiebreaker over the Vikings because San Francisco beat the Vikings. Uh, beat the Vikings head to head, and then of course, and then of course, behind the Vikings, you have the Saints and the Eagles, who are both sitting at seven and seven. Uh, in the Vikings' rearview mirror, trying to steal, trying to steal, uh, that seventh seed in the N- in the NFC playoffs. And if you look at the Vikings' schedule. The rest of the, the rest of the way, they have the Rams at home this Sunday at Green Bay, the second of the new year, and then they finish up at home against Chicago. So not bad, you know. They they should be able. They you know they could they could finish nine and eight, 
and it, but if they put their minds to it in Pendleton, I don't think that they will because this is how the Viking season has gone. They the best case scenario, they run the table and finish ten and seven. Nine and eight, maybe, just maybe good enough for the ninth for excuse me, for the seventh seed. Maybe. But a bad loss from San Francisco, and then from a Titans standpoint, and then from a Titans standpoint of things, that is give Mike Vrabel a ton of credit. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal bounce back loss. Less than less than five six days when you got ambushed by Pittsburgh on the road on Sunday, a phenomenal bounce back loss to essentially flush the Pittsburgh loss and all the mistakes and everything it did wrong in the Pittsburgh game down the uh, down the. Uh, the hypothetical toilet and and to come out there, bounce back, be down ten nothing, not panic, fear or excuse me, faith never waver, and come back and erase a ten point deficit in the second half, outscore San Francisco outscore San Francisco uh what I believe twenty to seven in the second half and end up uh, and end up winning the game putting yourself in a position where if you went matter of fact let me s- go through the uh, the clinching scenarios for week sixteen uh just to make sure that San Francisco just to make sure that the Titans aren't in a position where they c- where Sunday could come and go and they are in uh and they are in uh division champions. Let's see here. Tennessee clinches AFC division title with a win, which they already have, and an Indianapolis loss. So the Titans can win their division. Excellent. Give Vrabel credit. Excellent bounce back victory with him and his fo- for uh, for him and his football team, flushing the Steeler game down the toilet and going out there and beating a tough. And I do mean to no nobody you know they they are the they are the NFC's version of the Indianapolis Colts. Nobody and I mean nobody at least prior to Thursday night wanted to play the San Francisco 49ers. Nobody. And they went out there and they, and they went out there erased the deficit and fought tooth and nail to make sure that by the time the clock hit triple zeros, the Tennessee Titans were going to win that football game. Excellent drive by Tannehill in the two-minute drill, uh, setting up setting up a Randy Buck to kick the game-winning uh, 44-yard field goal. Um, Tennessee is now in the position. They are now ten. They are ten and five, six and two at home this year. Ten and five. Uh, where all, where all they need is Indianapolis to lose, and let's see, uh, and uh, and uh, all they need is Indianapolis to lose to the Cardinals on Christmas night, and you know, by we won't even be, we won't even have to finish a full sl- Sunday slate of action. You know, you you know, it, day after Christmas, you wake up and the Titans could be di- could be division champions. That's if Kyler Murray and the Cardinals get their act together and beat the Colts on Christmas night. But if the Colts lose to the Cardinals on uh, on Christmas night, the Tennessee Titans once again are champions of the AFC South. A phenomenal bounce back victory from Mike Vrabel, uh, Mike Vrabel, Ryan Tannehill, and the crew. Phenomenal job by that defense. Uh, right and Jimmy Garoppolo getting the two interceptions, and also a phenomenal job by AJ Brown, who absolutely played his ass off in the game on a Thursday night as well. And also a thing to keep an eye on too is that Tennessee keeps themselves alive for the time being, which 
is why, you know, Kansas City all of a sudden getting struck with COVID at this point in time couldn't have came, couldn't, couldn't have came at a worse time. Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill on the COVID list. They're going to be without their punters. They're going to be without their punter Townsend and their kicker Harrison Butker for the Steeler game on Sunday. And they possibly could be without them both for the Bengal game the week after that. Um, but Tennessee keeps themselves alive for the number one seed. Kansas City, of course, has not has yet to play the Week 16 game uh, at the moment, so they both are even in the win column with 10 wins each. Uh, and if the che- and if the Steelers pull off the major upset on the road and beat Kansas City, a Pittsburgh all of a sudden is back into the thick of things as far as a wild card spot. Uh, in the AFC playoff picture is concerned, number one. And number two, if Kansas City, and number two, if the Steelers pull off the road upset and beat Kansas City, the Titans move into the number one spot and regain the title of number one seed, best record in the AFC, uh, based off of obvious tiebreaker. Uh, when uh, based off of obvious tiebreaker, when the che- when the Titans beat the living hell and embarrassed Kansas City on October the twenty fourth, which was ironically enough the last time the Kansas City Chiefs lost the football game. Uh, so uh, so if you're a Tennessee Titan fan, you know you were cursing at them and you were cursing them under your breath on Sunday. And it's fun. It's you know the old uh, Michael Scott line from the office: how the turntables, how the turnable tables. Now all of a sudden, you know, find 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 your find your resident Steelers fan, get a terrible towel out, and uh, and, and wave your terrible towel in support for the Pittsburgh Steelers, hoping that they can knock off Kansas City, and you can move right back into the driver's seat as number one seed in the AFC playoff picture for the time being. That's where you begin here on this Christmas Eve program. Nice to have you with us. Glad you are spending your uh, Christmas Eve and part of your Christmas holiday with yours truly. Got lots to do here on this program. Week 16, eight games to keep an eye on, eight games of note, uh, eight games of note to pay attention to in week 16. Don't forget the week 16 picks. We do not have the week 15 picks. I will have your week 16 picks for you coming up later in the program. And coming up after our first uh, first little break, give you my two cents on Urban Meyer getting canned. Uh, last week and also gave my two cents on my guy Buck Showalter and why the New York Mets are a World Series contender after hiring old Buck. This is the Anatelicatelius podcast. Stay tuned right after this. Chasing the clock. 
Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to a big item of news in the NFL that I didn't have a chance to address last uh, last Friday because there was no show last Friday that I will address here and now is the news of Urban Meyer, the former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, getting uh, getting canned because of the fact that because of uh, his lack of incompetence and the fact that he was toxic and just Urban Meyer had no business no business being a head coach of an NFL football team. You know, some coaches know how to make the transition from college to the NFL well. You know, the the Jimmy Johnsons, the Pete Carrolls of the world that know how to successfully coach young adults, coach college kids, uh, and then they go to the NFL and they're dealing with grown-ass men who are playing the sport for their livelihood and they find success at the college and at the NFL level. But those, those you know, the Jimmy Johnsons and the Pete Carrolls of the world, coaches that win national championships and win Super Bowls, they don't grow on trees. And, you know, Nick Saban tried coaching in the NFL once and he was an absolute disaster. It's not for everybody, and just because, sorry about that, with the mic moving, and just because you're great, just because you're a great college coach won't necessarily translate into you being a great NFL coach and vice versa. And and Urban Meyer had zero business being a head coach in the National Football League. During his time, whether, at, whether it be at... Gainesville, Florida, coaching the Gators, or at Columbus, coaching Ohio State, there is a different attitude and a different mindset that is involved with coaching college kids and being a college football head coach. When you're at college, you can get away with my way or the highway. You can get away with I'm Urban Meyer, I've done this, I've done that, I've won this, I've won that, and you have not. You can get away with what I say goes. You can get away with that quote-unquote dictatorship-like atmosphere as far as I'm the coach, I'm the head coach, and you're the player. You can get away with that in college, and you could be successful with that attitude in college. You're dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, guys who are not children, but they aren't full grown seasoned adults that have been around the block a little bit either. They're they are either rapping they're if they're 18, 19 years old, they're a young adult slash teenager. They if they're in their early twenties, they are young adults still learning the ropes and still trying to figure out their way throughout life, uh, throughout their life. Their brains still aren't fully developed yet at that point in time. On top of the fact that they are the protege, they are the young, the young grasshopper, so to speak, that is trying that as they're climbing up the ladder as far as trying to make it to the NFL, they are still trying to figure out what it takes to be great at a sport that they want to excel at for a living. So you can get away with 
with saying, you ain't crap, you ain't this, you ain't that, you stink, you make your kicks, you catch the ball. You can get away with that in college. Most of the time, because a lot of these college coaches, especially if you're good, hell, you're more powerful, you're, you make more, and you're more powerful than the governor of your own, of the state that you coach in. For one thing. And if you're, and if you're that powerful, and if you're that popular, and if you're that successful, you can end up becoming bigger than the school that you coach at. Not to mention the fact that it's college, players come and go, you're always still there. Saving with Alabama. Players come and go, the A.J. McCarrens of the world, the Greg McElroys of the world, the Mac Joneses, the, the Jalen Hurts, the Tua Tagovailoa's of the world. They come and go. Saban's still there. Running backs, the Derrick Henrys, the Mark Ingrams of the world, the Trent Richardsons of the world, they come and go, the, the Eddie Lacy's, they come and go. Saban, the Najee Harris, Nick Saban's still there. Wide receivers, same story. Defensive players, same story. Saban is still there. NFL is not like that. You're not dealing with college kids. You're dealing with grown men. Grown men with college degrees, mortgages and or rent that they have to pay. Like any other adult in America that holds a full-time job. The responsibilities, if they have a family, to keep a roof over their family's head. Same responsibilities as the regular, as the regular, uh, as the regular average Joe working the nine to five. It's the same thing. Although they're football players, and they're glorified celebrities and or public figures in life. And just because they have little blue verified check mark on the social media account doesn't mean that they shouldn't be treated like human beings. And doesn't mean that just because that they have they're blessed with the ability and the opportunity to play football for a living doesn't mean that they still treat it in some form or fashion or at least look at it as a regular full-time job. The NFL player making $20 million a year still has the responsibility. Now, do they have more luxuries? And do they have more bonuses? And, and is their lifestyle and their quality of life inflated with being a football player rather than the average Joe that's making, that's making $75,000 a year? Obviously, but the person that works the night that works the Monday through Friday, nine to five, that's making $75,000 a year still has the same, same basic responsibilities as the NFL player making millions every single year. And that's to make sure that the bills are paid on time, that the mortgage and or the rent is taken care of, the car if 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 they're pay, if they're in the process of of paying for a car that their car is paid off every month, cell phone bill, cable bill, internet, buy the groceries, water bill, 
all of that. It's all it's all the same thing. And you know, my father tells me told me this all the time, and he tells me this to this day. He says, "Jai, you know, a self-respecting grown man is only going to take but so much disrespect." And what you saw from the Jaguars was grown ass men that were that were that were only going to take but so much disrespect. And really, we're getting to a point where they didn't give a damn if it if it was their quote unquote boss and the fact that it that it was coming from their head coach. Because because uh, no self respecting grown ass man is going to take. So much disrespect, especially from another grown man. Doesn't matter if doesn't matter if they're on the same level as far as titles at their job, whatever the case might be. They're only going to take but so much, and that's something that's never going to change. That 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 has been installed throughout the psyche of 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 the human male from the very beginning, and it ain't going to change, and it's going to stay, and it's going to be like that. As as long as as long as human beings are still roaming the earth, you you aren't you listening aren't gonna aren't gonna tolerate that crap from your boss. I'm not gonna tolerate it from mine or any future boss or any future uh, supervisor that you may work with or work slash work for down the line somewhere in your life. You're not gonna tolerate. You're not gonna put up with it. Being told that that they are better than you because of something that they did at another company or in, or at Urban Meyer's case, something that he's you know the success that he's had in college. Here's the here's what Urban Meyer also needed to understand: at the NFL level, nobody give a damn gave a damn about what you did at Ohio State or at Florida. Nobody cares. Nobody cares, and nobody cared about what you did in college. Big deal. When Jimmy Johnson went from the U to the Dallas Cowboys, and not, you know when when they stunk and won like two games his first year there, and I believe nineteen eighty nine, nobody gave a damn about what he did, what he did at the U. Win a national championship, nobody cared. You know what they cared about? The fact that he won them back to back Super Bowls, that he turned around that franchise. That he that he made it that he made his team into perennial Super Bowl contenders. That's what that's what the Dallas Cowboy fans at the time and his players at the time. That's what they cared about. Nobody cared about what Jimmy Johnson did. Seahawk fans, same thing. Seahawk fan didn't give a damn about the dynasty that he built at USC. Did they care as far as as far as evaluating Carroll when it came to deciding if th if this guy was a championship level coach, that this guy you know has a resume and knows what it takes to win to win football games and to win football championships at a high level of competition? Yes, they cared in that sense. But prior to those 2013-2014 seasons, Seahawks fans could have could have given two horse craps about what Pete Carroll accomplished at SC. This isn't SC, it's the Seattle Seahawks in the National Football League. This isn't University of Miami Hurricanes and South Beach. This is the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. 
This isn't the Ohio State Buckeyes at Columbus or the Florida Gators at Gainesville. This is the Jacksonville Jaguars in the National Football League. Hearing stories of of him berating Josh Lambeau and saying, make your blanking kicks and kicking them in the I mean, who the hell does stuff like that? Like, you have to be so freaking power drunk. Like, like who, who, who the hell does stuff like that? That's not how you treat people. That's not how you coach players. That's not how you treat your fellow, your fellow brethren, another grown man, by berating them like that and treating them like a child. You don't act like that. You just don't. And the Jaguars and Shad Khan, who had his head in the sand for months and months and months and months, should have saw and should have, excuse me, should have seen the writings of the wall, the writing on the wall, and realized this guy has this guy is in over his head. He has no idea what the hell he's doing at the, at the NFL level. The the team is not be, is better off without him than with him. He's not a good NFL head coach. He needs to be gone. And I tell you something right now, if he was the head coach on my football team, his ass would have gotten canned that Saturday, that first Saturday in the month of October when he got caught getting grinded on by some young co-ed at his restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, instead of flying back home to Jacksonville after his team collapsed in the second half against my Cincinnati Bengals on September the 30th. If it was my franchise and he got caught doing that, I'd have been like, Urban, don't waste your time coming back to Jacksonville. We'll ship your crap. We'll ship your crap to you. You're fired. Get the hell out of here. We'll find a we'll find a new coach. We got ten days to find a new coach and to put together a game plan. You're gone. Finish. Kaput. Get the hell out of my office. If it was me, that's how I would have handled it. If it was me, it would have been you're, you're, you know, first month coaching games, that's it. Lombardi, Belichick, Lombardi, Belichick, Tomlin, Harbaugh, they, they, don't, they don't pull crap like that. Andy Reid, what self-respecting, decent, winning, successful NFL head coach goes ahead and does that? His team collapses, and they don't even get on get on the chartered flight back with the team to fly back to their home location. They'll stay they'll stay behind, travel upstate a good little bit for them for them to get for them to uh, take selfies and and get and get uh, and get notarized and get noticed and and get grinded on at a at a place where they're at a place where they're revered as a god. I mean, really. You choke like that on national television and you dip on your team so you can get your ego stroked along with something else? Really? Again, I said at the time, I'll say it again. If it was me, my football team, his ass would have been fired. That night. All that stuff of him getting twerked on went viral that Saturday night. He got fired at 12.30 in the morning. He would have been fired. Sat, er, wee hours of, the wee hours of, of the early Sunday morning. His ass would have been canned right then and there on the spot. Period. You can't act like that. 
on top of the fact that your offense is inept. To, uh, you're, 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 you're staggering the progression and the growth of your fir- of your first of your first overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, he has he has looked uh, absolutely abysmal as rookie quarterback this season. Not 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 anything good. Not it. Not not better. Yeah, you get, getting you guys to score points was like pull, was like pulling teeth. You went damn near two full months without win- without winning a football game. You didn't win outside of the London game, which technically counts as a home game. Technically counts as a road game. You didn't win a road game within the within the United States at all during your tenure. You are you are pathetic, and you deserve what you got. Thought he was the smartest guy in the room. You know, had no idea what the hell was going on. Didn't didn't know the players that were active on the active roster. Were they injured uh, on IR? Had no clue. Clueless as the day is long. Serves them right. Serves them right. And how about my guy Buck Showalter getting uh, getting tapped by the New York Mets? To uh to be their new manager for the 2022 season and beyond. This was the perfect answer for the Mets. You know, you couldn't go to uh you couldn't go to Kevin Cash's uh uh bench coach or or, or try to tap on uh, to try to tap on uh some young manager make some uh, some uh, rookie manager and you couldn't you couldn't go that route after how the season went last year you try with a, with Rojas that ended up being a complete disaster your season was in utter turmoil with the whole rat raccoon argument with McNeil and and Lindor getting into a fight behind closed doors the whole thumbs down thing with Baez and Lindor back in uh Back in late August, your team your team collapsed. Uh, you couldn't hit. Your bullpen was absolutely atrocious. You collapsed a, a first place lead in the second half of the season. So you needed a guy, and this is why. And that's why. This is why it was just such a tremendous high with the Mets. On top of the fact that you had the controversies with the guys up in your front office being downright uh, degenerate creeps. Let's not forget. Let's not forget that and whitewash that either. Uh, but yeah, but Buck Showalter was the perfect hire. You needed a baseball guy, a guy that was experienced, a guy that has experience in turning, in turning, uh, beleaguered, awful, dysfunctional, losing franchises and losing baseball teams around and making them into competitive, winning franchises. As my Baltimore Orioles being the most recent example, uh, when he was here from 2011 to 2018. It was a. It was you couldn't. You couldn't go. You couldn't screw up this decision. This was a no doubt about it. Slam dunk hire by the New York Mets. No, any other option, it would have been. A, it would have been a complete and utter colossal failure. This hire makes the Mets in the World Series contenders. No doubt. On top of the fact that they had signed Scherzer back in the month of November, a a unbelievable hire by by uh, Steve by Steve Cohen. And the higher ups with the New York Mets, Buck Showalter brings experience. He keeps his team humble. He keeps his team disciplined. He runs a tight. He runs a a a, a buttoned up, uh, tight, tightly, uh, tightly knit group 
tightly knit clubhouse does he allow his guys to have some fun and to uh, and to enjoy each other's company with as far as building a positive uh in clubhouse atmosphere absolutely but he also runs a tight ship he, he no screwing around his players are disciplined his team they, his teams don't beat themselves you know you you know they make sure that they play top-notch defense one, one one of the one of my one of the main staples and one of the many strengths of the of the glory days with the Bucks show off the led Baltimore Orioles were the fact that they were one of the best defensive teams in all of in all of baseball. They played fundamentally sound baseball on the infield and, and on the outfield. No throwing errors. Seeing them drop a seeing them drop a ball and and make fools out of themselves on the field uh, were few and and very 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 far in between. Hell of a hire from Buck Walter. He knows that he knows New York. He gets New York. You know he did the Mets. Excuse me, did the Yankees pregame and postgame for yes for a few seasons. Uh, of course, he was the Yankee manager back in the early 90s, drafted Jeter and developed Jeter throughout the Yankees minor league system in the early 90s. So he gets New York. He he knows, you know, he's he's managed postseason. He's managed in, in, in postseasons for the Yankees uh, back 20. Now, this is 25 plus years ago, but still excellent hire. Gets the market, gets the New, gets the New York baseball fan. Experienced, been around the block a little bit with the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Yankees, most recently with the Baltimore Orioles. Hell of a hire. Hell of a hire. Uh, and, and, and when I saw he got the job, when he got the Mets job, the, I believe it was the day of the Army Navy game. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, or was it? No, it was the, uh, it was last, uh, it wasn't the day of the army Navy game. It was the Saturday after that last set. When I saw that he, that he got, that he was tapped, that he got the job, he got hired, warmed my heart, warmed my heart. In my lifetime, Buck Showalter is one of my favorite baseball figures of my lifetime. One of my favorite, fa certainly the best Orioles manager of my life. He's the Earl Weaver of my generation. I say it ad infinitum all the time. Glad, absolutely thrilled for the Mets and thrilled for the long-suffering Mets fans that he is going to be their manager for the next three years. Because he's an excellent manager, excellent baseball guy, gets the X's and O's of the sport, and he gets the best out of his team. Gets his team to play hard for him. Excellent, excellent, excellent hire. Mets at a home run with this. And, and on top of the Scherzer signing, and now this, and of course cutting the dead weight in Baez. This, this, if this team doesn't, if this team isn't playing, playing against the Dodgers in the NLCS, their season is another failure. Period, point blank, end of story. If it isn't, if it isn't, if we are so fortunate to have a baseball season, if it isn't Dodgers and Mets best of seven in the NLCS, that will be a major, major, major disappointment. And one little quick buck note before we take a break: I did not, re I did not realize, and I forget who put it out that Showalter, the uh, a story with Showalter uh, in the Athletic. I did not realize. Now, of course, you know, for all of the great that Buck did for the Orioles, you know, one of his one of his 
unforgettable sins, quote unquote, was when he was when he left the best closer, arguably the the best relief pitcher and the best closer in the game, uh, in Zach in Zach Britton, in which he and when he left him, uh, when he left him in the bullpen to go to Ubaldo Jimenez. <clears throat> Of all of all people who at that point in time was pitching well to close out the regular season, but Zach Britton was the best reliever and best closer hands down in the sport, and he left him in the bullpen to bring in to bring in uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, which of course cost the uh, Orioles a an opportunity to move on to the now the game was tied to you know they might have lost that game down the road would have maybe maybe would have lost that game a little different you never know they did have. Uh, runner, they did have two. They did have uh, the winning run for Tor- for Toronto was like 180 feet away. So you you know what could have been, you just don't know. But cost an opportunity for the Orioles to go to the 2016 ALDS, and in my estimation, my estimation could have went to the World Series that year. Why do you ask? 2016, who had the best record in the American League that year? Cleveland Indians. The Orioles in the season series that year, they swept Cleveland when Cleveland came to Baltimore and they took two out of three. I remember because the weekend where they played Cleveland in, in Cleveland was the weekend of my 14th birthday. They took two of three from Cleveland in Cleveland in late May and they swept Cleveland, I believe, early July. So they won, they won the season they won the season series five games to one. Went five and one against the Indians that year. Best of you know best of three, they couldn't have beaten Cleveland and and, and ambushed them. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But anyway, he the decision to leave Britain in. Or excuse me, to leave, yeah, leave Brendan the bullpen and bringing in a bottle of manners obviously bit him in the ass. Uh, of course, that was the last time. That was the most recent time the Orioles have seen postseason baseball since. And what I did not realize, and this is a little excerpt uh, from the Athletic that I read about, which was uh, which was very very interesting. Showalter in the spring of 2017. Uh, typically, I guess what Showalter did during his time with us is that he addressed uh, he addressed the players following the off season, and uh, and they and they like watch a you know off site they in a movie theater they they watch the highlights of the previous season to kind of to kind of bond the team and say hey this is what we can do and this upcoming season we do this 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 and this. Well, this is according to this is according to Zach Britton, who have now of course is a reliever. Uh, for the New York Yankees, uh, he said, "Quote: We always had this spring training thing, which I thought was cool. Off-site get-together in a movie theater, kind of show you the highlights of the previous season, just a bonding moment for the team." During that meeting, he, meaning Buck, got up there and said, "Before we start, I just want to address the elephant in the room." He apologized to me. He apologized to me, which he did not. Which I didn't think he needed to do. I think I think there were some guys on the team that were frustrated by the move, and he just said, "That's my bet. I messed up, and it was done with." So Buck apologized to Britton and the team in front of the team for bringing in Ubaldo Jimenez instead of Zach Britton. 
which I which that this is like brand, like this is not something that that you know is a couple years old that all of a sudden is coming to light because Buck has a job. This this was this is brand spanking new information. If I didn't I I I didn't think that my respect for Buck could get any higher when I read that last weekend went up tenfold. And my respect for him is already at a at a thousand. After reading that was like at a million. You got a good one, Mets. Take care of him. And for the love of God and for him, win a World Series with him, please. Please. He deserves it. Back right after this. Welcome back to the I'm Talking TIS podcast. Switching gears now back to National Football League Week 16 preview. Got a lot of decent games on the docket uh, here for this Week 16. Eight games we'll get into. Four here, take a break, then do the other four, and then Week 16 picks to close out the program. Uh, We will begin with the two uh, Christmas Day games. Uh, First one being at 4.30 between the Cleveland Browns and the Green Bay Packers. Packers have scored 30 or more points in four straight games. That's the current longest active streak in the National Football League. And with Cleveland, on the Cleveland Browns standpoint of things, you get, they will have Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry back for the game on on Saturday, tom- uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. From a Cleveland Browns standpoint, listen. You know, your defense did a hell of a job, uh, you know, a hell of a job uh, doing the best you could running on fumes with the with the with the funky schedule and everything else. Did the best you could. And you did, you know, being the benefits of of, uh, Derek Carr's asinine interception that he threw on Monday night. Uh, did give did give the Cleveland Brown offense the ball back and an opportunity to go out there and win the game. And then, of course, when the Cleveland offense comes up short, you know it's it's a it's a huge huge emotional and mental letdown for the defense to go right back out there on the field and try to stop the Raiders one more time when they thought when they thought that the interception a little bit more than two minutes ago was going to be the coup de gras and Cleveland was going to uh you know come into the come into uh the Green Bay Packer game sitting in first place via tiebreaker in the AFC North. What the Cleveland Browns have to do is simple. They got Baker Mayfield back, they got Jarvis Landry back, Nick Chubb as well. Here's what you do. And a Green Bay Packers defense has been spotty as we as I uh illustrated for you last episode. You got you just score points. Just go out there and score points. Don't don't get too caught up in trying to you know make sure make sure that you, that you stop Green Bay and you know let we see if we can keep on the thirty one points. See if we can force them to 27, 24, 17. Just go out there and just score. 
If you just go out there every single possession offensively, run the ball down Green Bay's throat, and then and Baker Mayfield, who are still dealing with his injuries, but but make the make the right throws, put the football where it needs to be, make it easier for your wide receivers, and utilize Jarvis Landry being back. And and to go out there and score some points, you should have a decent chance of winning the game. Just go out there and just play your game. Because hell, nobody expects you to win the you win your division anyway, and nobody expects you guys to make the playoffs at seven and seven. Just go out there and say the hell with it. Let uh, say the hell with it and just go out there and just play your game. Play your game with no fear, with a quote-unquote nothing-to-lose mentality. Throw the kitchen sink at Green Bay. Pull off the upset, and crazier things have happened. And and also, too, play fundam- fundamentally sound special teams. If your offense goes out there and scores about 28 to, th- 28 to 35 points, you might get lucky. Because because the Green Bay Packers special teams has been abysmal this season. And if you're ever so fortunate, you get you know, you get you, you get a get a little Christmas miracle, and all of a sudden you look and the final score, you know, Cleveland's gotten more than Green Bay because you forced a turnover or you capitalized off of a Green Bay Packers defensive or special teams miscue, muffed punt, missed or blocked field goal, blocked punt, punt or kickoff return for a touchdown, whatever it might be, throw the kitchen sink at Green Bay. Baker Mayfield, you know, woke you woke up feeling dangerous. Just go out there and sling it, man. Let Nick Chubb run the ball down your throat and and just go out there and just sling it. Play with no fear. Your season is de- season is is, is is more than likely over to begin with anyway. You, you might not most likely you're not making the playoffs and most likely you're not gonna win your division. Just go out there and just let it rip. Play with no fear. Throw the kitchen sink at Green Bay. Give them your best effort. And who knows? Maybe you win a game and by the hair you change chin chin, you might end up making a postseason. Pulling off the tremendous upset. But you're going to have to score points to do it because Green Bay, again, four straight games, they've scored 30 or more points this season. Uh, four straight games in, during, so f- during the last four games, they've scored 30 or more points longer streak in the NFL. So don't get too caught up on, you know, forcing them to field goals and three and outs. Just acknowledge the fact that if you're going to win this game, unless something, unless something crazy occurs where the Green Bay Packers offense is just out the lunch, where except the fact that you're going to have to win this game in a shootout in order to beat Green Bay, unless unless the latter happens, which is unlikely, but still a possibility nevertheless. And then, from a Green Bay Packers standpoint, you know you can you can't get to this is what this is what you would call a trap game for Green Bay. I understand that Cleveland is competitive, and although they're seven and seven and no slouches. This, this could this could be a de facto trap game for Green Bay. You you knit you knit you nearly nearly got caught with your pants got caught with your pants around your ankles 
uh, and then damn near lost to Cleveland. Excuse me, damn near lost to Baltimore on Sunday. With Tyler Huntley, 31-17 down, storms all the way back to get within a point. If you're a Green, from a Green Bay Packer perspective, you can't let that happen again. Defense has got a has defense when you have your foot on the proverbial neck of your opponent, you put the dagger through him and you finish him. You don't allow them to, you know, get one little fluky drive and all of a sudden be that have that be the catalyst to some ridiculous comeback. Uh-uh. You have your opponent down for the count, you finish him. Period. Point blank. That's game number one. Game number two, the Colts and the Cardinals. Indianapolis Colts, here, here's the bottom line is this. Give Jonathan Taylor the ball. Cardinals had a tough time stopping the run against Detroit on Sunday. You, you, you give Jonathan Taylor the ball. Give Jonathan Taylor the ball and you force Kyler Murray to make a ton of mistakes. Get after him. You force you force a lot of you force him to uh, to uh, make a lot of uh, bonehead interceptions. You make him force the ball down the field. Throw it into double and triple coverage when it's not necessary. You you let the you you play your game. You let Jonathan Taylor dominate, and you let the Cardinals and you let and you let you know Frank Reich. This to you. You let Cliff Kingsbury make the mistakes. From an Arizona Cardinals perspective, you gotta you, if you can't stop the run, and you can't find a way to shut down Jonathan Taylor. You have no chance of winning of winning the game. If Carson wants to beat you, so be it. If you allow Jonathan Taylor to put on a to put on an encore performance from last Saturday, from last Saturday, from last Saturday, a you don't deserve to be the number one seed of the NFC, and two, if you allow him to put on an encore performance again, you deserve the you deserve to lose the game. You let Jonathan you you let Jonathan Taylor damn near run for for two hundred yards again, you deserve to lose. You're the Cardinals. You limit the mistakes. You limit the turn. You limit the turnovers. Cliff Kingsbury, I suggest, I suggest you find a way how to manage a game clock and how to uh, and how to perf- and how to uh, improve on your uh, on your crunch time in game management skills. Let Kyler Murray limit the mistakes. Limit the turnovers. Get more accurate with his deep balls and get more accurate with finding his receivers downfield. And you stop Jonathan Taylor. If Carson wants to beat you, so be it. But don't let Jonathan Taylor, you know, have a you know have a, have a day that Alvin Kamara had last year on Christmas, where he scored like five touchdowns or something. I'll 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 find that stat line for. But don't don't let it be a repeat of that. What Alvin Alvin Kamara did against the what Alvin Kamara did against the Saints, or excuse me, against the Vikings last year on Christmas. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, let me see. What day was that? That well, Let me see if I can pull Regis. When they beat the Vikings 52-33. to when, I, when, Alvin, when Alvin Kamara ran for 155 yards on 22 carries and ran. Not, not ran and caught. Ran. For six touchdowns. You let that happen. You don't deserve to win your division. And you don't deserve to get the one seed either. And and, and, if, and if you played in the AFC. You, you, you don't deserve to go to the playoffs. It's game number two. Game number three. The Bills and the Patriots. 
be interesting to see. Now, let, now let's see what the weather is going to be like in New England because, of course, that that outlier game against Buffalo at the beginning of the month, where the weather was absolutely wicked, where the where it was run the football and and or risk the opportunity of the wind of the wind take of the wind taking the ball on that Monday night at Orchard Park. The weather in New England on Sunday is sunny and 44 degrees. So a set. So you know, I would you'd be it would be nuts to it. It would be nuts to expect. Uh, it'd be nuts to expect the Patriots to replicate that performance uh, against the Buffalo like they had a few weeks back again. I, if I was Buffalo, I'd be on their toes for it. You know, I'd make sure if the Patriots are going to go to a run-heavy offense that they find a way to stop the run and don't give up over 200 yards rushing again like they did, like they did against Buffalo in the first meeting. But I would, but my initial, my initial intuition going into the game is 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 making sure is making sure that you make Mac Jones' life a living hell. You basically copy and paste from the from the Indianapolis Colts defense, and, and that's and that's forcing him to and that's getting as a getting making the Patriots play from behind. That's making the Patriots play from behind. So so Belichick and McDaniel's essentially have to force Mac Jones to throw the ball to when they have to you know to, to make and force him to make plays with his arm downfield when they're playing from a deficit. And then you take advantage of the fact that he's a rookie, and the fact that rookie are going to make rookie mistakes, and he's going to throw the ball in bad spots, and and basically take advantage of the fact that he's a rookie quarterback, and force and and force as many turnovers as he possibly can. But the whole premise of making him force turnovers by having the ball in his hands a hell of a lot of times, and having the Patriots put Mac Jones in a position where he has to make plays with his arm to play within a deficit is that Josh Allen and the and the Buffalo Bills have to show up and play in this game. They had they can limit the turnovers, Josh Allen throwing interceptions, limit the turnovers, control the clock as best as you can with little to no running game. And Josh Allen just be the one man wrecking crew and make plays with his arms and with his legs. And go, and right from the opening snap, make sure that you're playing that you're playing from ahead instead of from behind. Especially if your team's going to have a hard time stopping the run. Especially from a Patriots standpoint, make sure you play with the lead. You play with the lead. You play with the lead, and you, and you are able to to run the ball down Buffalo's throat. Good things are going to happen. You have to play from a deficit, especially a double-digit deficit. It could end up being a recipe. It could end up being a recipe for disaster. Now, the only thing is that would be encouraging from a New England Patriots perspective is that when he had to play from a deficit against the Indianapolis Colts, they couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor, and the and the Colts ran the ball right down a Patriots' throat. Something that something that the Buffalo Bills obviously lack. The ability to run the football and to control the clock when they're playing with a big time lead. So keep that in mind on Sunday afternoon as well. Last game before we head to our final break is the Ravens. Is the Ravens and the Bengals? The Baltimore Ravens heading into this game. You know, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson has not practiced all week long. 
I expect him to I expect him to I expect him to play. I really do. I expect him to play in the game. Uh, would, would it shock me if you know twelve o'clock or eleven a.m. or or late Saturday night we hear that Lamar Jackson can't go? No, it wouldn't. But I expect Lamar Jackson to play. Granted, he hasn't practiced all week long, and Tyler Huntley did not practice on Friday, dealing with a non-COVID-related illness. So he also was on the fence for his availability on Sunday as well. Who the hell are Ravens going to have to play quarterback if Tyler Huntley can't go? I have no idea. Let's hope uh, for my, for my, for my Cincinnati Bengals' sake that it isn't a uh, a sequel to the Mike White game back on Halloween. But uh, you know who if if ta- if Tyler Huntley can't go, who you know it'd be in for some for some wacky wacky crap to go on in the queen city the day after christmas and hopefully from a cincinnati Bengals fans perspective and isn't a repeat uh performance of the mike white game uh you know fingers crossed you know hit your knees pray to the good lord knock on wood if you may um but so if you're the ravens you know, you from a defense. Now, I understand that these are two totally different teams and two totally different rosters from the last time they met up on October the 24th when yours truly and the, the beautiful uh, Liv Cowherd. Shout out to her for graduating uh, Arizona, at graduate from Arizona State earlier this month. Uh, shout out to her, shout out to her, the, the beautiful, intelligent woman that she is. Uh, when the last time me and her were both in the building, when those two teams played uh, two months ago today on October the 24th. Uh, so two totally separate teams. Marlon Humphreys, of course, is not going to be playing this game, obviously, on injured reserve. Ravens secondary, you know, they're deep into their third and their, their, their second, third, fourth string practice squad guys. So the advantage is going to, and because of the fact they have a depleted secondary, you've seen the Ravens play a lot of zone cover, a lot of soft zone coverages rather than man to man, which Joe, which Joe Burrow uh, has, uh, which Joe Burrow has eaten up all season long. Uh, so you're going to, so it's going to be interesting to see if Joe Burrow is going to be able to adapt and quickly and see how fast he can he can figure out. Uh, figure out the Ravens' defensive schemes in the earlier stages of the game on Sunday. Keep an eye out for that, and also be interesting to see, you know, if if you know the Bengals going to be ready to rise to the challenge. They win this game, they have a very very good chance of of winning of winning the division, having swept Pittsburgh already. Swept Pittsburgh already. There's an opportunity for them to sweep Baltimore. And until the Cleveland game, have a what? Have a uh, a four? Have a four and one in division record to close out the 2021 calendar year, heading into the Kansas City game, and then the one more divisional game remaining on their schedule, Cleveland and Cleveland on January 9th. They have they have an opportunity to rise the, to the occasion. Rise to the challenge, answer the bell, go out there and prove the four and one within the AFC North, and it clinch their first winning season since 2015 by getting their ninth win. By getting their ninth win uh, of the 2021 regular season, the opportunity is there. The opportunity presents itself. The Bengals have to stay focused. 
Stay ready. Be ready to play. Be buttoned up. No stupid, asinine, self-inflicted penalties. You know, no taunting. No un, no no unsportsmanlike conducts. No, you know, guys line up in the neutral zone off sides. No false starts. No holding penalties to, to, to stagger offensive drives and to move the team backwards instead of forwards. Smart quarterback play from Joe Burrow like we saw against Denver. Like we saw against Denver and like we saw against the 49ers, not turn, not throwing an interception in the, in the Denver game, not turning over the football, period. Being able to run the football. Now the Ravens, they all season long, have been a very good team. Uh, a very good team defensively against the run. See, see you know, the, the Zach Taylor line from the Raider game. See if the dam is going to break. If it appears that it doesn't, take it. Learn, learn from your mistakes from the 49er game when you did not take advantage as you as you damn well should have. Uh, the fact that the, that the San Francisco 49ers secondary was uh, was was running on uh, you know was running on uh, was running on peanut butter and Kool Aid. And you didn't take advantage of that in the 49er game. It's no coincidence why A.J. Brown put up the numbers he put up against them last night. But I digress. Learn from your... You say you learned from your mistakes after the 49er game in the, the post-game press conference. And all throughout that week after the 49er game. Now the opportunity presents itself to see if you really did learn from your... Learn and right your wrongs from the 49er game and not taking advantage of... Of their of their de, of their very much depleted secondary, you have an opportunity to right your wrong and take it and take full advantage of that against the Ravens beleaguered and injured to Helen back secondary coming up on Sunday afternoon. And then if you're the Ravens, make the Bengals play from a deficit and make them and make them and see test the waters and see if they get a little tight. Take the crowd out of it early, force mistakes, force Joe Burrow to th to throw the ball downfield. You know, tr playing from a deficit, trying you know in a situation where he's desperate, where he knows he's got to make a play, force some in force some interceptions, force the bank. You know, for you know, force as many Bengal mistakes and as many Bengal turnovers as you obviously as you possibly can. Because same thing with the with the Titans goes for the Bengals. They lose the turnover battle and they turn over the football. They don't win. So force so force some Bengal mistakes early and often throughout the sequence of that game and take the crowd out of it and take them mentally out of it as early as you possibly can. As early as you possibly can. You do that, Ravens could steal a game and still be in line and win the division. If not, if everything to the for the for the sake of the Bengals, everything the Bengals have drawn up all week long, if everything from the Cincinnati Bengals side of things goes according to plan, could be a bloodbath. If the Bengals are out the lunch to begin the game and are not fully focused and are not their self-inflicted mistakes and the Ravens, you know, who regardless who the hell's starting at quarterback, if the Ravens show up ready to play and are all buttoned up and and uh and 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 and, and laser focused, could be another Bengals Ravens classic coming down to the wire. 
which is what the major, which is what this rivalry has 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 not has 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 been essentially for the major for a good chunk majority of my lifetime, with 2018 to 2020 being the being the sole outliers. Say FC North football, baby. Looking forward to it. Preview the other four games and the week 16 picks against the spread to close out a Christmas Eve edition of the Amatel TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Yamatelakitayas podcast here on this Christmas Eve. Uh, finishing up now with our Week 16 NFL preview. Then, of course, your Week 16 picks uh, to close out the program against the spread. Um, uh, game number one, or excuse me, game number five, uh, game number one of the segment, but game number five, of uh, the LA Rams going up against the Minnesota Vikings, uh, the Vikings coming into this game. Listen, there are, they improved the seven and seven on the season. They pretty much control their own, you know, they don't have a tiebreaker against San Francisco and they got to, uh, and they got to worry about the Eagles and the Saints who are currently on their tail for the hunt to get that seventh seed in the National League post in the National League playoff picture. But from a Minnesota Vikings standpoint, you, you know, you can only control what you can control. You gotta win. You gotta win out and finish in a best case scenario. Finish the season uh, ten and seven, just to give yourselves an opportunity. You might get lucky with. You might get lucky at nine and eight, but you know you can't lose any more than one game the rest of the way and ex- and expect to make it. It's all. There, it's just all there is to it. Um, you gotta go out there and fi- you gotta go out there, finish the deal, pull off the upset at home. And improve to and then get to and get back to above 500 heading into uh, heading into the New Year holiday. The Ram, excuse me, the Vikings have lost. Or excuse me, the Vikings have won 
five out of the last six games against the Los Angeles Rams. While the Rams, of course, coming off of their victory on a very short week coming off of their victory Tuesday night at home against the Seattle Seahawks, where it essentially was the Cooper Cup show and Russell Wilson imploding, giving, giving. The game was tied at 10-10 heading into the fourth quarter, giving the Los Angeles Rams uh, uh, the season sweep over the Seattle Seahawks in 2021. From a Rams perspective, here's what you got to do to beat the Vikings. Make Kirk Cousins uh, make Kirk Cousins make the mistakes. Matthew Stafford, you limit the mistakes. You Matthew Stafford, you give Cooper, you give you you run the ball. Make sure your run game is stout. Make sure that your run game is strong. You have a balanced offense. When you throw the ball, you find Cooper Cup and you find a way to get the ball to Cooper Cup. And if not him, OBJ, you also carry some of that weight in the receiving game. Matthew Stafford, you limit the mistakes. That was a bad interception he threw to Quandre Diggs. Uh, that he threw to Quandre Diggs in the first half. His old teammate up in Detroit. Uh, which if the Seahawks had any, again, had any form of offensive consistency from Russell Wilson, they would have went down the field and scored on that drive, at least gotten a field goal out of it. But because Russell Wilson is inept and because the Seahawks offense is an absolutely complete eyesore to watch, they did not, so the, 40, so the, uh, the Rams got lucky. But uh, if you're the if you're if you're the Rams from an offensive perspective, Matthew Stafford, you limit the mistakes and let your defense go out there and force the mistakes uh, at the hands of uh, at the hands of Kirk Cousins, and you make sure and you get make sure that the ball is in Cooper Cup's hands. You find Cooper Cup, you give him the ball, and you mix it up, keep a balanced offense, work the play action by uh, by going out there. And uh, and running the football down the Vikings' throats, and then from a Viking perspective, which you have to do, coming off of their Monday night win at Chicago, uh, at Chicago a few days ago, what you got to do is run is you got you, you can beat the Rams two different ways. You can either let Justin Jefferson, you can let their second Ram secondary get killed by Justin Jefferson, or you run rampant all over them at the, at the at the feet of Dalvin Cook. So you have two. So you have two schools of thought of beating the Rams. It's very. It's very beating the Rams is not impossible. They've lost four games this season, but you can't beat the Rams with Kirk Cousins turn over the football left and right. You just can't do. You just can't allow it to happen. Kirk Cousins has to play a has to do a complete one eighty of his garbage performance that he had against the Bears on Monday night. And if you do that, that will be a uh, that will be a recipe for success. That's game number one. Game number two between the Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to be running on fumes because everybody and their mother is sick uh, with COVID and is on the COVID list. A couple of marquee names, their punter, uh, their punter and a kick, and then, of course, their uh, kicker, Harrison Butker, who's unvaccinated, who is going to miss the Steeler game coming up on Sunday and may end up missing the Bengal game the week after that. You also got Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill who are on the COVID list as well. So COVID, and, and, you know, has fought, and not finally as if it's a, a good thing, but has made its rounds and has snake-bitten the Kansas City Chiefs coming up against 
you know, a game that Kansas City is favored to win, but, uh, you know, but Kansas City needs this game if they want to uh, fend off Buffalo and Tennessee, whom Kansas City does not have tiebreaker over for the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. Uh, So if you're Kansas City, work with what you got. Count on the fact that the Steelers' offense will be inept. You know, screen plays on third and long, bad offensive line play, get after Ben Roethlisberger, and you should be in pretty decent shape, although I wouldn't expect, you know, a repeat of of uh, of their performance, you know, against the Raiders in their last uh, home game a few weeks back. Washington versus Dallas, you know, Washington, they get Taylor Heineke back, but at this point, you know, you look like they might have been a paper tire because when you allow uh when you allow Philly to run for over two hundred yards like they did on Tuesday, your chances of making the postseason are few and far in between. And of course the Dallas Cowboys who clinched the postseason berth with the San Francisco loss on Thursday night, you know, is go out there, finish the deal and trying to win the division. Better need better quarterback play from Dak Prescott and just their defense to just go right out there and hunt like they did against uh, Washington a few weeks back. Dolphins and the Saints, both teams playing for their playoff lives, trying to sneak in at seventh seeds in, the, in their both respective conferences playoff chase. Uh, Dolphins who are currently riding a six-game win streak, see if they can make it seven and uh, get to above 500 for the first time after their week one victory on the road in Foxborough. As for the Saints, try to repeat your defense performance that you had against Brady and the Bucks. Uh, on Sunday, and then from an offensive standpoint of things, see if you can manage to uh, get in the end zone like you weren't able to do against the Bucks. Uh, you know, you expect better play from Taysom Hill, strong running game from Alvin Kamara, and uh, we'll see. You know, I th- if you ask me, I think the final score of this game could end up being, you know, on the lines of 13-10, 17-14, or you could see a couple of defensive touchdowns if the game gets into the low to mid-20s, in my honest opinion. But it is that time, week 16, Christmas Eve, in the league where they play, week 16 picks, it wasn't here week 15, we're here week 16 to wrap up the program, in the league where they play, four, pay. Game number one on Christmas Day between the Cleveland Browns and the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay seven and a half point favorites, giving the Green Bay Packers to win on Christmas Day by the final score of 31-21. The Indianapolis Colts taking on the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are favored minus two points on Christmas night. Give me the Indianapolis Colts to pull off the upset and win this game by the final score of 27 to 24 and then you look ahead to Sunday's action my Cincinnati Bengals play host of the Baltimore Ravens Cincinnati's four and a half point favorites you're going up against the Baltimore Ravens I pray that this is not a jinx but I seriously do believe this my Cincinnati Bengals will beat the Baltimore Ravens by the final score of 35 to 25. Detroit Lions taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons lost last time out to the San Francisco 49ers. Detroit got their second win of the year against the Arizona Cardinals at home. 
Detroit trying to get their first road win of the season. Atlanta six and a half point favorites giving Atlanta Falcons to win the game by the final score of 20 of 28 21. Los Angeles Rams go to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Vikings are seven and seven. Rams are ten and four. Rams favorite minus three and a half. Give me the Los Angeles Rams to win the game by the final score of 28 to 25. You got the Buffalo Bills eight and six going up against the New England Patriots who are nine and five. Patriots trying to sweep the season series from Buffalo yet again. Uh, as the game takes place up in Foxborough, Patriots favorite minus two and a half. Patriots uh, tough piddle swallow against the Colts last Saturday. Buffalo took care of business at home against the Panthers. Give me the Buffalo Bills to split the season series with the Patriots, pulling off the upset by the final score of 31 to 28. And the Jacksonville Jaguars going up against the New York Jets. Jets favorite minus one and a half. Lost to the Dolphins last time out, while the Jags, uh, you know, in game number two of the post-Urban Meyer era, they lost to the uh, Houston Texans at home last week. Give me the Jets to get win number four by the final score of 24-10. to 10. Philadelphia Eagles play host to the New York football Giants. They are 10-point favorites at home. Philadelphia at 7-7, having beaten division rival Washington on Tuesday night. Giants lost at home to division rival Dallas on Sunday. Give it to Philadelphia Eagles to win this game comfortably by the final score of 35-10. Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Carolina Panthers. Tampa got punched in the mouth last Sunday night at home against the New Orleans Saints. Shut out 9-0. Carolina lost to Buffalo, TB12's old division rival in Buffalo last Sunday. Tampa Bay's favorite minus 10. No Chris Godwin, mind you. Uh, out for the season, torn ACL injury. Uh, and the rest of their health of their skill position players are in question. Still give me Tampa to finish the deal with the f- winning by the final score of 28-17. The Los Angeles Chargers take on the Houston Texans in Houston. Los Angeles is favored minus 10.5, having lost last time out last Thursday night to the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime. Houston, of course, coming off of the aforementioned victory on the road to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give me the uh, Los Angeles Chargers to win this game by the final score of 31-10. to 10. And the same, excuse me, The Seattle Seahawks playing host to the Chicago Bears. First losing season in the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll era. First losing season that the Seahawks have had in 10 years. Their favorite minus six and a half. Give me the Seattle Seahawks to win this game by the final score of 24 to 10. And the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs won last time out in overtime to division rival Los Angeles. Pittsburgh coming off of that emotional, gritty, gutty victory over the Titans at home last Sunday. No, like I said, you know, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey's health in question. No kicker, no Harrison Butker for this game. So, so expect it to go the same way as the Titans game did, except that the high-end talent that is Patrick Mahomes will Uh, will come to the rescue for Kansas City. Give me the Chiefs to win this game in a close one by the final score of 24-21. And the Kansas City Chiefs will take care of business and get their 11th win of the season. 
The Denver Broncos taking on the Vegas Raiders. Both teams are at seven and seven. This is a dead even pick'em game between the two between these two teams. Both teams are holding on to seventh seed hopes in the AFC playoffs on a chicken wing and a prayer. Give me the Vegas Raiders to win this game by the final score of 24 to 17. And you got the Dallas Cowboys and a Washington team on Sunday Night Football. Dallas is favored by 10 points. 10 and 4. Clinched the playoff berth already thanks to the 49ers losing. And Washington trying to stay afloat. Trying to make the playoffs at a possible 9 and 8 if they are so fortunate to run the table. Give me Dallas to win the football game by the final score of 31 to 24 and the Monday night game between the Miami Dolphins and the St. Louis St. Louis New Orleans Saints both teams are at 7 and 7 uh the New Orleans Saints are uh, coming off of their shutout 9 nothing victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night Dolphins coming off of their home victory against the New York Jets Dolphins favorite minus 2 and a half Give me the Miami Dolphins to win their seventh game in a row and improve to eight and seven on the season by the final score of seventeen to ten. And those are your week sixteen picks against the spread in the league where they play for uh, pay. So just a couple of notes to get to uh, as far as the NFL ske- as far as the NFL schedule is as far as the NFL schedule is concerned. Uh, just to give you an update on what uh, on some clinching scenarios heading into Sunday. Uh, let me just read them off for you right quick before we say goodbye. Um, you have in week 16, you have these following clinching, playoff clinching scenarios to keep an eye on. The Arizona Cardinals clinch a playoff berth with a straight up win or tie, or the Eagles or the, or the Eagles loss on top of San Francisco's loss uh, or tie for that matter. Philadelphia loses and or ties plus a Minnesota loss or the Eagles lose or tie plus a Saints loss on Monday night. The Vikings lose or tie and or San Francisco ends up losing. The Vikings lose or tie and the Saints lose or t- and, and and the Saints lose or tie or New Orleans loses on Monday night uh on top of the San Francisco 49er loss. The Cowboys win the division have an opportunity to win the division on Sunday night or with the Philadelphia Eagles loss. Um the Rams have an opportunity to clinch a playoff berth by winning or the Eagles and or the Eagles and the Saints either lose and or tie. Tampa clinch wins the division with a straight up win upright uh, or the Saints losing on Monday night. They clinch a playoff berth with a Vikings loss or tie and a Philly loss or tie, a Vikings loss or tie and a Cowboy win on Sunday night or a Cowboy or excuse me or or a Viking loss or tie and uh, Dallas and a Dallas tie with them having a tie with them having tiebreaker over Philadelphia, and then of course the the Chiefs have an opportunity to win the West by winning on Sunday and the Chargers losing as well, or if Kansas City ties and the Chargers lose, the Chiefs walk away with the AFC West division title. They clinch a playoff berth by winning outright, or they tie and Buffalo loses, or they tie and Indianapolis loses. 
or Kansas City ties, and the Bengals and Ravens game does not end in a tie. Pittsburgh has an opportunity to win the East with a straight-up win outright, or the Dolphins lose or tie on Monday Night Football. They clinch a playoff berth with a win, and a Vegas Raiders loss, and a Chargers loss, or Vegas loss or tie, by the way, or the Patriots win. Indianapolis loses their ties, plus the Bengals losing on Sunday, or the Patriots win on top of an Indianapolis loss or tie, the Bengals, excuse me, the Ravens losing to the Bengals and Pittsburgh losing to uh, Kansas City or tying them, or the Patriots win plus a Colts loss or tie plus a Chargers loss, or the Patriots win, the Ravens lose, Cleveland loses or t- Cleveland loses or ties the Packers on Christmas Day, or and the Steelers lose or tie uh, in their game against Kansas City as well. And then, of course, Tennessee. Colts lose Colts lose on Christmas night to the Cardinals. They are division champions with their win on Thursday night. They clinch a playoff berth uh, with, the Dolphin, with the Dolphins losing on Monday night. Buffalo losing to the Patriots. Denver losing to the Raiders or tying them. Cleveland losing or tying the Packers. Also a Steeler loss or... A Miami Dolphins lost or tied to the Saints on Monday night. Buffalo losing to the Patriots. Denver losing or tying to the uh, Raiders. The Browns losing or tying to the to the Green Bay Packers. And a Ravens lost or tied to the Cincinnati Bengals with Tennessee, of course, already gotten their win on Thursday night football. So you are set. It looks like Tyler Huntley will be uh, will be QB1 for the Baltimore Ravens come Sunday afternoon. And those are your week 16 picks, your week 16 preview, and another episode of the Amatel Akitayas podcast in the books. Listen, have a safe, a wonderful, and merry Christmas, everybody. It is yours truly, Jai Shields, signing off the 200th episode of the Amatel Akitayas podcast. Sure appreciate the hell out of you guys for listening. It's your boy, Jai Shields. I will talk to you Tuesday. You guys have a wonderful Christmas weekend. See ya.